Chapter Fifteen of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mirage. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter Fifteen. A Sick Bed. Although the cabin in which the sick boy lay was one of the best in the village, its interior presented a picture of great poverty it consisted of a single room in the middle of which a mud wall of a few feet in height formed a sort of partition abutting against which was the bed the one bed of the entire family now devoted to the guest two of three coarsely fashioned stools a rickety table and a still more rickety dresser comprised all the furniture the floor was uneven and fissured and the solitary window was mended with an old hat thus diminishing the faint light which struggled through the narrow aperture a large net attached to the rafters hung down in heavy festoons overhead the cork and sinks dangling in dangerous proximity to the head underneath several spars and oars littered one corner and a newly painted boy filled another but in spite of all these encumbrances there was space around the fire for a goodly company of some eight or nine of all ages who were pleasantly eating their supper from a large pot of potatoes that smoked and steamed in front of them god save all here cried billy as he preceded the colonel into the cabin save ye kindly was the courteous answer in a chorus of voices at the same time seeing a gentleman at the door the whole party arose at once to receive him nothing could have surpassed the perfect good breeding with which the fisherman and his wife did the honours of their humble home and haircut at once forgot the poverty-struck aspect of the scene in the general courtesy of the welcome he's no better your honour no better at all said the man as hardcote drew nigh the sick bed he does be always raving, raving on, begging and imploring that we won't take him back to the castle. And if he falls asleep, the first thing he says when he wakes up is, Where am I? Tell me I'm not at Glencore. And he keeps on screeching, Tell me so, tell me so. Haircut bent down over the bed and gazed at him. Slowly and languidly the sick boy raised his heavy lids and returned the stare. You know me, Charlie boy, don't you? said he softly. Yes, muttered he in a weak tone. Who am I, Charlie? Tell me who is speaking to you. Yes, said he again. Poor fellow, said Harcourt. He does not know me. Where is the pain? asked Billy suddenly. The boy placed his hand on his forehead and then on his temples. Look up, look at me, said Billy. Aye, there it is. The pupil does not contract. There is mischief in the brain. He wants to say something to you, sir, said he to Harcourt. He is making signs to you to stoop down. Haircut put his ear close to the sick boy's lips and listened. No, my dear child, of course not, said he after a pause. You shall remain here, and I will stay with you too. In a few days your father will come. A wild yell, a shriek that made the cabin ring, now broke from the boy, followed by another, and then a third. And then, with a spring, he arose from the bed and tried to escape. Weak and exhausted as he was, such was the strength supplied by fever it was all they could do to subdue him and replace him in the bed violent convulsions followed this severe access and it was not till after hours of intense suffering that he calmed down again and seemed to slumber there's more than we know of here colonel said billy as he drew him to one side there's more causes as well as malady at work there may be but i know nothing of them said harcourt and in the frank air of the speaker the other did not hesitate to repose his trust if we hope to save him we ought to find where the mischief lies 
said Billy, for, if you remark, his raving is always upon one subject. He never wanders from that. He has a dread of home. Some altercation with his father has doubtless impressed him with this notion. Ah, uh, that isn't enough. We must go deeper. We want a clue to the part of the brain engaged. Meanwhile, here's at him, with the antiphlogistic touch, and he opened his lancet case and tucked up his cuffs. Hold the basin, Biddy. There. Harvey himself couldn't do it nater than that. It's an elegant study to be feeling a pulse while the blood is flowing. It comes at first like a dammed-up cataract, a regular outpouring, just as a young girl would tell her love, all wild and tumultuous. Then, after a time, she gets more temperate, the feelings are relieved, and the ardour is moderated, till at last, weird and worn out, the heart seems to ask for rest. And then, you'll remark a settled faint smile coming over the lips, and a clammy coldness in the face. "'He's fainting, sir,' broke in Biddy. "'He is, ma'am, and it's myself done it said billy oh dear oh dear if we could only do with the moral heart what we can with the real physical one what wonderful poets we'd be what hopes have you whispered haircut the best the very best there's youth and fine constitution to work upon and what more does a doctor want as old marston said you can't destroy these in a fortnight so the patient must live but you must help me colonel and you can help me command me in any way doctor here's the modus then you must go back to the castle and find out, if you can, what happened between his father and him. It does not signify now, nor will it for some days. But when he comes to the convalescent stage, it's then we'll need to know how to manage him, and what subjects to keep him away from. It's the same with the brain as with a sprained ankle. You may exercise if you don't twist it, but just come down once on the wrong spot, and maybe you won't yell out. You'll not quit him then. I'm a sentry on this post waiting to get a shot at the enemy if he shows the top of his head. Ah, sir, if you only knew physic, you'd acknowledge there's nothing as treacherous as disease. You hunt him out of the brain, and then he's in the lungs. You chase him out of that, and he skulks in the liver. At him there, and he takes off to the fibrous membranes. And then it's regular hide-and-go-seek all over the body, chucking a beard's child's play to it. And so saying, Billy held the colonel's stirrup for him to mount and giving his most courteous salutations and his best wishes for a good journey, he turned and re-entered the cabin. End of chapter 15